Good morning, Father. Thank you for your grace and mercy on this day. And now I ask that uh, the word of God would be lifted up, that through the power of your Holy Spirit we would understand it and obey it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're still in 2016. We just entered February. And so I'm still talking about a new year, new you. I just want you to take moments of time to sit back and think about things. For me, the new year, I know the youth group, we had a, a mud fire. I don't want to call it, it wasn't a bonfire. It was kind of like a mud rain fire we tried to have. And uh, that was an interesting time. I actually took my canopy and put it over the fire when the rain started, which created this unique mushroom cloud of smoke. Uh, we'll leave that for another story. But regardless, the whole point was we came together and, you know, we talked about things that we thought we did stupid, our own sins in the year 2015, and then symbolically, you know, we wrote them down on paper and we burned them up. Because for in Christ, when Jesus paid the price for all your sin, it's gone and it's forgotten. Right? So we don't want to carry it. Because God's not carrying it. Jesus already carried it to the cross. We don't need to carry it again. Right? And so part of that is getting rid of the old. All of last week, all the stupid things you did last week is gone. Now we live for Jesus moving forward. Every day, every moment's a fresh reset for the Christian. Okay? But moving forward... One of those things we do is we keep stuffing our brain with God's stuff. We've got to keep eating the God's word. And that's where we get this keep calm and be responsible. Romans 12.2, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's so much, that's a sermon right there. I just wanted to highlight the highlighted part. Okay, that's why we're studying the scripture. That's why we come together on a Sunday, because we're going to serve up a deep dish, deep dish of Bible, right? Not cheese pizza, but Bible. As opposed to the typical during the week, we're not getting necessarily deep dishes. We might get some daily breads, we might get, but Sunday, you know, we go deep. And we go deep to stretch our brains, right? So, I'm going to connect you. There's a lot of exciting things going on in the theological world where the, the, the leaders of theology, of right, proper theology, um, are out there. They're, they're the movers and shakers of where the Christian church is going to go down the road and such. So it's important to not only listen to what they say, but to listen to what they say in discerning things. And uh, we're going to talk about somebody here who's, who I would consider is in our camp, so to speak, in a moment. And it all comes back to this. I've been building, I've been circling the wagons, coming up to a particular topic I want to talk about. But until then, I want to build a foundation. And with Christian truths, this is how it works. The more we build foundations of the truth, the more, the more freedom we get. Right? But we're reprogramming our brain, the renewal of our mind, and setting proper truths in their proper places so then we can do other proper truths in their proper places. You know, the foundation is Christ. 
right? And we're to trust and obey Jesus. And two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about if Christians are not working, they don't, they're not, if people aren't working, especially Christians, they should not eat, the scripture teaches. The command to work, the command to be responsible. Responsible means being responsible of yourselves, individually responsible to provide for yourself. Okay, that's the opposite of entitlement and opposite of, of socialism. Okay, this is all down here. And when it says don't worry, when Jesus says about don't worry, he didn't say don't work, he said don't worry. Because worry will hinder your work. Okay, but to trust and obey, be responsible. Today we're going to talk about a couple more. I didn't put the yellow highlights in there. And we're all building, I want to eventually get to this concept of, can a Christian be, use self-defense? Can we use lethal self-defense? Can a Christian do that? If we look at the movies and we think of things we've seen on TV, you know, the impression is Christians were just supposed to march in the death camps to our doom. You know, and that's the only way to be a martyr. And I have problems with that, and, and I'm going to unpack this in a little more detail. I think this is relevant for our times, and if, if you don't feel it's relevant for you, it is definitely relevant for your children. The teens in this room, you're going to fight this even more than the, than the grown-ups because it's going to be more around. And if you don't believe that, all you've got to do is look over the oceans at France and Germany who right now have massive battles, theological battles that are affecting politics and civility in their civil life because they've let a certain religion come in and dominate. And in the name of tolerance, they've let them do some very bad things, right? And the same thing is happening in America. And my concern is some of the Christian leaders are telling the Christians, just, just sit there and let it happen. And I want to unpack that a little more. <clears throat> but I want to unpack it in terms, I think some of these theologians are writing their theology in crayon, which means they're not thinking deep. They're just like, you know, they're just not thinking. So we're going to discuss two issues, retaliation versus confrontation, and suffering for Christ versus suffering. There's a difference. So what's going on? Why am I talking about this? This guy right here, John Piper. Now, he's theologically in the classical reformed camp. Okay, he's done a lot. His ministry, DesiringGod.org, has done a lot of good. This guy's deep. You want some hearty messages, listen to him. But this year he had a conference, the Bethlehem uh, Conference of Pastors and Church Leaders, and his beginning message was, Think not at strange, fiery trials, and the testimony of Christ. And he, just in December, this guy responded to the president of Liberty, who told the students at the school, Go ahead and learn how to use a gun. You're going to need it. So he responded to the President of Liberty saying, What, are you crazy? No, don't teach him to use the guns. Teach him to accept suffering. Right? And so he got fired at. So then his message at the beginning of this conference was all about this. So I'm going to pick on two things he says, and then we're going to dive into the scriptures. But I want to put this in the context. This is important. Even though we live in little pawpaw, 
DC is two hours away. And if you want to see diversity, go drive two hours into DC. You don't even have to get to the Beltway. Go to Loudoun County, the richest county in the country, or one of them, and look at the diversity. Okay? Diversity isn't bad, right? America's the melting pot. However, you want to be wise and discerning. And if what happens if something bad happens in DC? Guess where those folks are going? The woods. They're going west. They're coming here. All right? This is a quote from Piper. If there is someone in your church clamoring for you to show them from the Bible how they have a right to carry a gun to save themselves and their family from suffering and death, by all means, spend 10 cents of your labor on that and then spend a million dollars on this. You don't need the Bible or the Holy Spirit to persuade human beings to protect themselves, but to bring into being a church of people who rejoice when they are treated unjustly, that is a miracle that you should give your, your whole life to. Nothing is harder, nothing is more amazing, nothing more beautiful. Our Savior was beautiful at that horrible mount. Okay, and that's pretty much the pitch of his whole message. And that looks pretty nice. Really, there's a lot of good Bible content in there. Except he emphasized some things and didn't emphasize enough. I believe it's an incomplete message. And I'm not, not going to unpack his message, but I am going to give you a message which I believe is more biblically accurate. My concern from John Piper is this is he's making the case that Christians, just like Jesus, did not resist evil, and neither should we. And he used 1 Peter 4, 12-19. Now, of course, my bigger concern here is that um, it encourages Christians, men, to continue to be lazy and not push to greater levels of responsibility. As Christians, and I'm going to look at us men first, because we should, you know, we're commanded to lay down our life for our wife and our family, just like Jesus did for the church. We're the providers, we're the protectors. God has called us to the highest calling of responsibility a human being has ever, ever been called to. And I take that word back, call. Throw that away. That is a sinful word. Jesus has commanded us which means it's not an option. So we're, to be, we're commanded to grow up and be mature and protect our family, provide for our family, provide for our church, lead the church, grow in the community, be salt and light to the community. I'm looking at us men here because as we go, so our family goes, that's us, right? <clears throat> That's at greater levels of responsibility. My concern of this Piper message is the outcome is disarming Christians because Piper did not emphasize what it meant to do good. Um, so I, I think of the more spineless Arminian type dispensational theology where, where men are just, well, I'm just not worthy and I'm not going to share Jesus. People are just going to see my good life and want Jesus. No, they won't. People aren't going to hear about Christ until you speak the gospel with your mouth. 
right? I want to emphasize that. If you haven't spoken the gospel, you haven't shared the gospel. Your, word, your actions are not enough. Lazy and irresponsible and calling it, don't worry, Jesus said don't worry, so I'm not going to go out and be responsible. And that's really what happens. Not protecting our family and our neighbors and calling it love. Right? The Syrian refugees. The, the current leadership is just letting these people, and one in ten would love to blow themselves up with you. Yep. Something's wrong there, right? Is that love? Is that loving the refugees? I don't even think, you can't even make the case that's loving the refugees. Okay? That's not love. That's foolishness. That's hating your neighbor. Why would you want to endanger your neighbor, endanger your wife, endanger your children, endanger the schools? Where is the love in that? There isn't any, right? It's foolishness. But Piper's response is, hey, Christians, just treat, consider it all joy. <laughs> Hello? What about being mature and grown up and responsible? Doesn't the Bible have anything to say about that? And it certainly does. So that's why it's not just a simple answer. Yeah, God said, learn how to shoot a gun. No, it's deeper than that. Justice is good. That's what we talked about last week, a big message on that. But what does it look like for a Christian to live justly? And I'm going to challenge you, this is the juggles, this is the things. Well, well, what does justice look like versus revenge? And what does justice look like versus love? Are these opposed to each other? Justice and love? No. No, they're not. We'll see today. These two are best friends. Because that's Jesus on the cross. Satisfying the justice of God so that you and I can experience the love of God. Right? In Christ... You and I are standing on a moral high ground because we're in Christ. We're forgiven because of Christ. We can use that moral high ground to help people up. That's our job. That's what we've been commanded to do. Right? So now let's dive into some Bible verses. So hang on. Put fast in your seatbelt, but keep your brain engaged as best you can. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, yeah, sure. So far, no conflict. Repaying evil for evil is not justice. That's kids fighting in the park, right? That's people being mean to each other. That has nothing to do with justice. This is not a justice statement. This is, uh, you know, when if two kids are fighting and one takes a toy, the other one says, oh yeah, and punches them in the face. That's just evil for evil. That's not a case of justice, right? And what do we do when we see kids do that? Hey, stop being mean to each other. Evil for evil, right? That's not justice. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends, live peaceable with all. Now here's, this is Paul writing, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That good is a lot. Let's unpack this for just a second. We'll move on. Never avenge yourself. So you come home from work. You see your house is broken into. You lock and load. You do your own finger dusting. You figure out who it is. You go home and you, and you avenge yourself. That's a vengeance. That's, there's a justice system for that. Okay? That's different than your home, your wife's home, your kids are home, it's two in the morning and someone's breaking into your house, and you're the first person there to say, hello! Okay? That's not vengeance, that's protection, that's discernment, that's loving your family, your wife and your children, that's different, right? But uh, that, do you understand the difference between in the middle of an event and, oh, well, I'm going to get them myself. You know, th- you got to be careful of that. That's what it means. Don't avenge yourself. Leave room for the wrath of God. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Can we provide for refugees in their own country? Yeah. Do we have to let them all come here to do it? No. <laughs> right? Especially 1 in 10 says... Allah Akbar, I want to kill you. Hello. Well, you can't come here then. Shame on you. All right? We should be able to discern that and let, take care of him there. But do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot in that word. Good. Hello. Okay. Vengeance is bad. Don't do it. And what about defense? I kind of already explained the difference. Defense is when they're coming into your door. I got ahead of myself. But confrontation. That is good. See, in Piper's message, he really emphasized that Jesus just went to the cross and he didn't fight and he didn't say anything. And we need to emulate that. Uh, well, I don't think Piper was unpacking Bible fairly. Did Jesus confront people? Enemies? Yes. Did he confront his friends? He certainly did. Let's take a quick look at this. I won't read it all to you for data sake, for your brain. But Jesus confronted Peter in Matthew 16 when Jesus was saying, listen, I'm going to go to the cross. They're going to punish me. They're going to hang me on the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter said, by no means. No way, Jesus. We're not going to let you do that. What did Jesus say to Peter? Right? He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, and we'll come back to this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We'll leave all the rest of that for later. He confronted Peter and called Peter Satan. How's that for a discouraging day? Right? Oops, did I make a mistake, Jesus? You just called me the devil. And I'm your chief disciple. Alright, that's a bad day. That's a confrontation. Now, Jesus confronts his enemies in Matthew 23, 13 through 23. Um, 
This is the, just the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Seven times he says, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. Six times he calls them hypocrites. Five times he calls them blind guides. And some of the highlights in verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Hello? Jesus just sat there and let them punish him? Now, what we're looking at here is before Jesus went to the cross, it was something called the Passion Week. And Jesus is really, his sole purpose was to go there and kick the bee's nest. That was his, So that whole week, he did everything he possibly could to make everybody mad. I know it wasn't his goal, but when you're God and you're holy and you tell people that, it makes everybody mad. Okay, that's one of the results. So here he is, just diving into them. And down in verse uh, 23, he talks about their hypocrisy. For your tithe and mint and dill and cumin have neglected the weightier matters of the law. This is why I highlighted this. Weightier matters of the law, which are, this is Jesus saying what the weightier matters of the law is. What's that? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he says, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, that's great. Yeah, you're paying attention to how many people are, you know, doing little rules, but you're missing the big picture. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay? Here's a few more punches Jesus threw at them. Verses 33, he calls them, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Is that a, con is that a fighting sentence? Right? That's the religious leaders. These are the people who, who they run around in robes and they're holy. That's what they do. And that's what Jesus is calling them. And then in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and, you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus calls the religious leaders sons of the devil. Is he making friends? <laughs> now here's the question. Is he doing good? Yes. Yes. Jesus was doing good by proclaiming truth. And in confronting them, some people repented, some did not. Right? But he wasn't just sitting there waiting, waiting and not doing anything. Okay, now let's talk about suffering. Now this is pulling right from the same verses that Piper did for his message about sitting on your thumbs and waiting for death to arrive. Are you suffering because you are doing Christian things? In 1 Peter 4, 12-14, um, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
One thing Piper did not do is delineate where the suffering's coming from and why we're having it. A couple other points, uh, but let, not, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay. Now, what Piper emphasized was don't be ashamed when you suffer. Right? Consider it glory when you get a fiery trial. Right? And he kept emphasizing those. And if you actually go look at the sermon online, you can watch it. It's a video. And the text is there. You can see what he was emphasizing. And then, of course, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to their faithful creator while doing good. Right? What, what Piper emphasized was trusting your soul. Oh, I'm suffering, Lord. I can only, it's like a roller coaster, Lord. I'm here. I'm yours. Right? Just, it's like a passive thing. And, it, and it's in the framework of his message, it disarms men and women. And I don't mean that it disarms them, but it really makes them weak, wimpy, useless individuals as far as I'm concerned. See, there are different kinds of suffering. Ever heard the saying, that's their cross to carry, that's their cross to bear? Okay? My dad used to say that all the time. Someone gets a new disease, oh, that's their cross to bear, you know, and it's talking about physical suffering. Now, growing up as a Catholic, you can't go to someone and say, you know, the reason you're struggling with that physical ailment is because of sin. Well, you know what people are going to say. You mean just God's punishing me because of some sin I did? Right? In, in Catholic world, that's, a ma that's right where they go to. And so I very carefully never say that to them because they'll misinterpret it. But, are we living in heaven? Are we living in paradise? No. Let's, what does the scripture tell us? There's three different types of suffering that have nothing to do with your Christian walk. The curse. Creation is going to fight you all the way to the end. And uh, we were just talking about the curse on snow blowing, right? Did that snow blower fix itself? No, right? And our sin, you know, laziness, foolishness, which is the opposite of wisdom. You know, when we do that job and all of a sudden, you know, something crashes and smashes and we're like, uh-oh, forgot to do that, right? Who was it who, i trying to remember, it was a teen in the old youth group, they checked their oil, they changed their oil, and they forgot to put the cap back on the oil, where you put the oil in, right? On the engine. And they drove around town all day, splattering oil all over the top of their engine like a sprinkler. Oops. Now, did they do that because they were a Christian? Because they're living for Jesus? No, they did that because, well, you got the curse, and then you got a little bit of laziness, some foolishness, you know, slash ignorance. Oh, I didn't know we got to put that cap back on. Right? And then you also have other people's sins. And that's all of the above interrelational sins going on. Think of your job. Okay? Wouldn't work be great if it wasn't for those other people? <laughs> right? So, suffering because of the curse, we got that in Genesis 3 17 through 19. Uh, to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But the sweat, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay? Any man or woman going to work for the day or working in the backyard knows exactly what we're talking about. It's the general curse. This is suffering that you're going to experience just because you're here. Now our sinful nature, even Paul in great detail in, in Romans 7 talks about himself. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, and we know Galatians 5 talks about the struggle Christians have between battling the sin and living for Jesus. Okay, these are battles. These are things that are going to bring us suffering that have nothing to do with you living for Jesus yet. And of course, the third one is other people's sin. Right? And this is the blessing of fellowship in the church. I dare you to write this one down. <laughs> God uses the sinful nature of the other Christians in this room to expose your own sinful nature so you can repent. Huh? You like that? And everyone's like, I'm going to make sure I forget that one. <laughs> Because it's not about the fault of somebody else. It's about where is your heart? And do you care to repent and be more like Jesus? So what about them? So what about what they did or didn't do or whatever they did, what they said, what they didn't say? Blah, 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 blah. What about you? How are you responding? That's the blessing of fellowship. So now at your job, you got people who aren't Christians and they're definitely sinning. What do you do that? Okay, we're almost done here. I'm just giving you some, getting on the, we're at the other end of the juicy, deep part. Now we come to suffering for Jesus. Right? We got our daily battles. I can dig it. I know. And now, what does it look like to suffer for Jesus? In Luke 9, 23 through 26. And he said to all, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, this is before Jesus went to the cross. So we could say, whoever takes up their electric chair, whoever takes up their firing squad daily and follows me. Right? That's what he's saying. Who's going to follow me to death? Who's going to die today and follow me? That's what Jesus is saying. How do we view our life? When, you, when I was a 20-something-year-old Christian and a friend of mine, Chris, who was the major disciple in my life, uh, 
when he was teaching me and I'd hear these big callings of Jesus, I was 20-something year olds. I had other plans. And there was a heart conflict between of interests of that. But now this is sounding more and more juicy and wonderful all the time. When was the last time your schedule was even challenged, let alone suffering, because you evangelized at work or at school or your ministry got, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Or you fellowship with somebody and they didn't like it or you're trying to disciple somebody, right? When was the last time somebody attacked you because you were doing these. That's what suffering for Christ is. That's why I always bring up the five disciplines. Because if we're not doing them, we're not living for Jesus yet. Okay? That's just straight up the way it is. You got to be doing these. Because that's carrying your cross. Alright? Think back to the last time you were persecuted for work or school or friends. Now, we, I shared the story before. I'm going to do it again. Uh, we, in Pennsylvania, we had this massive, massive prayer rally in May, and there was about eight, 900 kids there. And what happened is we got in prayer circles, and a girl shared how the Passion of the Christ movie came out. She wrote a review of it, gave it to the school newspaper, and the editor took it, read it, said, crumpled it up, threw it in her face, and said, I ain't putting that out there. And I said, that's awesome! That's something to rejoice about. And I said, get up there on the microphone and tell all these people what you suffered for Jesus' sake. That's, she went out of her way. This was a, a teenage girl living for Jesus and got true persecution for it. That's worth rejoicing in glory. Okay? That's what we're talking about. You need to know the difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering for being foolish, lazy, and sinful. After Passion Week, a week of complete and utter confrontation of Jesus with the religious leaders, wrecking the money tables, remember? Just calling them thieves and trashing the tables, and he had a stick in his hand, waving it around. This is Jesus, quietly going to the cross, right? And calling them the sons of the devil in whitewashed graves or sepulchers. The only time Jesus did not resist the evil was to go die on the cross. That's after he wreaked havoc for a week and then he had his final supper with his disciples. And then he says, now this is it. Just, just pray with me because now I'm not going to fight. Because this is the last battle. All right. And in Matthew 26:52, then Jesus said to him, "Put your sword back because what did Peter do when they came up, when they came to capture Jesus? I don't think so, mister. Wham! And he gets right into the battle. Right? And Jesus heals the guy, tells Peter to put his sword back. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. We'll talk about this later. We'll come back to this. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus stopped so that he could fulfill scriptures that it must be so. He's going in there. He's trashing the place. And it's like, now it's time. Drops his arms. But why did he do that? Jesus' path to the cross was the most powerful, aggressive move of justice 
against the enemy. It was the killing stroke to evil. Amen. Yeah. To death. That's right. And that's where we have this. 1 Corinthians 15. And this is the last slide before communion. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's a very call. That's not a call. Forgive me, Lord. Command. That's a big command. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakanddeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakanddeacon.com. Truth is here.